Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Ready or not, someday it will all come to an end. There will be no more sunrises, no minutes, hours, or days. All the things you collected, whether treasured or forgotten, will pass to someone else. Your wealth, fame, and temporal power will shrivel to irrelevance. It will not matter what you owned or what you were owed. Your grudges, resentments, frustrations, and jealousies will finally disappear. So, too, your hopes, ambitions, plans, and to-do lists will expire. The wins and losses that once seemed so important will fade away. It won't matter where you came from or on what side of the tracks you lived at the end. It won't matter whether you were beautiful or brilliant. Even your gender and skin color will be irrelevant. So what will matter? How will the value of your days be measured? What will matter is not what you bought, but what you built. Not what you got, but what you gave. What will matter is not your success, but your significance. What will matter is not what you learned, but what you taught. What will matter is every act of integrity, compassion, courage, or sacrifice that enriched, empowered, or encouraged others to emulate your example. What will matter is not your competence, but your character. What will matter is not how many people you knew, but how many will feel a lasting loss when you're gone. What will matter is not your memories, but the memories that live in those who loved you. What will matter is how long you will be remembered, by whom, and for what. Living a life that matters doesn't happen by accident. It's not a matter of circumstances, but of choice. Choose to live a life that matters. And that poem is written by Michael Josephson. Heaven is real, and hell is real, and eternity is but a breath away. Soon we shall be in the presence of the Lord we claim to serve. Why should we live as though salvation were a dream, as though we did not know? To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There may yet be a little time. A new year dawns before us. God help us to live now in the light of a real tomorrow. And that is the last three paragraphs from the monthly, the Moody Monthly uh, magazine in January of 1952. Welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today, our last program of the year. I want to take a minute to thank all of you faithful listeners, many of you who encourage me in this ministry. I appreciate you and your kind words. But my hope for today is that you might invite an unsaved relative or friend or neighbor to listen to this program in the hopes that they will be pointed toward the Lord. All of us will die a physical death, but those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will live eternally with Him. And I want everyone I know to go to heaven, and I hope you feel the same way. So please continue to pray for these unsaved people and pray that God might use this program to bring hope to a world that desperately needs hope for today. A verse to challenge us as the new year begins is found in Psalm 90:12. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. How should we spend our days on this earth? A favorite verse found in Hebrews 10.24 states, In response to all he has done for us, 
Let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other and in doing good. And from Philippians 1.11, May you always be doing those good, kind things which show that you are a child of God. For this will bring much praise and glory to the Lord. And from Ephesians 4.16, Make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. Our priority in life needs to be to bring glory to God in whatever we do and in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. So whether you are a student, a patient in a hospital or a nursing home, or in a prison, or a single parent raising children, or in a job that isn't ideal, or grieving the loss of a loved one, think how you can glorify God where you are and in whatever trial you may be facing. Always remember that God is still on His throne, and God is good. Pray that He will give you the faith to trust Him even when you cannot understand why you are going through whatever it is that you are experiencing right now. Matthew 6.33 states, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? Henry Blackaby, who with his son Richard authored the book, Experiencing God, would tell you that all includes everything that God knows would be beneficial for your best life. In Joanne Weaver's book, At the Feet of Jesus, she says, Genuine happiness only comes from living close to God and obeying Him. Jesus will do whatever it takes to return to us the glory of God that we were meant to reflect in the world so that through our lives, people might see who God really is. In his book, The Indwelling Life of Christ, Major Ian Thomas explores the mystery and the power of living resurrected. And this is from his book. The true Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gifts, your talents, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. If your life as a Christian can be explained in terms of you, what have you to offer to your neighbor next door? The way he lives his life can already be explained in terms of him. And as far as he is concerned, the only difference between him and you is that you happen to be religious while he is not. Christianity may be your hobby, but not his. And there is nothing about the way you practice it which strikes him as, as at all remarkable. There is nothing about you which leaves him guessing, and nothing commendable of which he does not feel himself equally capable without the inconvenience of becoming a Christian. It is only when your quality of life baffles your neighbors are you likely to get their attention. It must become patently obvious to them that the kind of life you are living is not only commendable, but beyond all human explanation. Oh, how I want to live an inexplicable life that points to Jesus and Jesus alone. Don't you? From Matthew 5.16, it says, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. A reflective question is, what would you like people to note about your life? As recorded in Acts 4.13, when Peter and John faced the religious leaders, the leaders were amazed at what Jesus had done for them. A changed life convinces people of Jesus' power. 
One of your greatest testimonies is the difference others see in your life and attitudes since you have believed in Jesus. Your neighbors don't care how many Bible studies you have attended or how often you read the Bible or how many times you go to church each week. They want to see how much of Jesus you reveal to them in your attitude and actions. Our first and foremost priority should be to make sure our lives please God. We need to be diligent in keeping sin out of our lives. The sin of pride, greed, gossip, gluttony, selfishness, an unforgiving spirit, jealousy, just to mention a few. Now, in order to please God, you need to know what pleases Him. And what better place to find that information than in His Word? If God knows your future, wouldn't you do well to read and study His Word and pray for His guidance? What does God promise when you seek Him? These verses come from Jeremiah 29:11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. You will find me when you seek me, if you seek me with all your heart. Do you want to be a success in life? Success as measured by God involves obedience and faithfulness. From the Life Application Bible study notes for Romans 8, 28, and 29, God is not working to make us happy but to fulfill His purpose. Everything we go through in life is designed to bring us closer to God. That is why many people keep going through the same things over and over, because they are resisting getting closer to God, whose ultimate goal is to make us like His Son, Jesus Christ. As we become more and more like Him, we discover our true selves, the persons we were created to be. From the notes for Jeremiah 2, We may be tempted to seek security from possessions, people, or our own abilities, but these will fail us. There is no security apart from our eternal God. Would you like blessings in your life? Proverbs 16.20 says, God blesses those who obey Him. Happy the man who puts his trust in the Lord. From Charles Spurgeon in Morning by Morning, May God the Holy Spirit enable you to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. He who does not grow in the knowledge of Jesus refuses to be blessed. To know Him is life eternal, and to advance in the knowledge of Him is to increase in happiness. He who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of Him yet. Absence from Christ is hell, but the presence of Jesus is heaven. Some of you might remember my friend Loretta Woodard, who died in 2008 of throat cancer. The last time I saw Loretta was at a Christmas show at Johnston Community College. I knew she was battling cancer, so when I saw her, I went over to speak some words I hoped might be an encouragement to her in her illness. She was not able to speak, but I had been encouraged many times by the verse she wrote on a piece of paper and handed me that night. I have also written that verse on many Get Well cards since that time. The verse is Jeremiah 17:7. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and has made the Lord his hope and confidence. Loretta's hope was in the Lord, and she never wavered in her faith, and she was an inspiration to many. She had that peace which passes our understanding because it came from the Prince of Peace. No matter how difficult times may be, we can have hope when we keep our trust in God. I want to read you some verses from the 26th chapter of Isaiah, starting with verse 3. He will keep in perfect peace 
all those who trust in Him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Trust in the Lord God always, for in the Lord Jehovah is your everlasting strength. O Lord, we love to do your will. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. Lord, grant us peace, for all we have and are has come from you. Yet we have this assurance, those who belong to God shall live again. One of my favorite old hymns is Trust and Obey. Listen to these words by John Samus. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do. Where he sends we will go. Never fear. Only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Jesus always trusted God and was always obedient to him. And through his obedience, he provided a way for us to spend eternity with him. From Luke 5:16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Regarding this, Max Lucata asked, If Jesus, the Son of God, thought it worthwhile to clear his calendar to pray, wouldn't we be wise to do the same? The book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon late in his life. I want to read you a few excerpts from the notes that begin this book and from chapters 1 and 2. Solomon hoped to spare his readers the bitterness of learning through personal experience that everything apart from God is empty, hollow, and meaningless. His purpose was to lead people to seek true happiness in God alone. He was not trying to destroy all hope, but to direct our hopes to the only one who can truly fulfill them. Ecclesiastes shows the paths in life that lead to emptiness and helps us discover true purpose in life. Such wisdom can spare us from the emptiness that results from a life without God. Solomon teaches that meaning in life is not found in knowledge, money, pleasure, work, or popularity. True satisfaction comes from knowing that what we are doing is part of God's purpose for our lives. This is a book which can help free us from our scramble for power, approval, and money and draw us closer to God. Solomon discovered that life without God was a long and fruitless search for enjoyment, meaning, and fulfillment. Above everything, we should strive to know and love God. The cure for emptiness is to center on God. Fear God throughout your life and fill your life with serving God and others rather than selfish pleasures. Solomon had a purpose in writing skeptically and pessimistically. Near the end of his life, he looked back over everything he had done, and most of it seemed futile. A common belief was that only good people prospered and that only the wicked suffered, but that hadn't proven true in his experience. Solomon wrote this book after he had tried everything and achieved much, only to find that nothing apart from God made him happy. He wanted his readers to avoid these same senseless pursuits. If we try to find meaning in our accomplishments rather than in God, we will never be satisfied and everything we pursue will become wearying and tiresome. Life's experiences are not always happy. 
But the world tells us to demand happiness, do all we can to attain it, and make personal satisfaction our chief goal. Solomon, writing about his own life, discovered that his wealth, power, position, wives, and accomplishments did not make him happy. Happiness is an elusive goal because people and circumstances change quickly. True and lasting happiness, however, comes from pleasing God. Thus, happiness cannot be achieved. It can only be received through a right relationship with God because only God knows what is really best for us. If you are chasing after happiness, you will never find it. If you are seeking after God, you will find endless joy. If your goal is to serve God and others, then you will experience a full life, one that won't leave you sour. Serving God leads to everlasting joy. True enjoyment in life comes only as we follow God's guidelines for living. Those who really know how to enjoy life are the ones who take life each day as a gift from God, thanking Him for it and serving Him in it. God has a plan for all people. Without God, life's problems offer no lasting solutions. The secret to peace with God is to discover, accept, and appreciate God's perfect timing. It is impossible to fulfill your God-given purpose unless you fear God and give Him first place in your life. We cannot discover God's purpose for our lives by our own efforts, but only through building a relationship with Him and seeking His guidance. Are you now using your life as God would have you do? Do you see it as a gift from Him? I have a few minutes left. And this is something I've just, every time I read this, it's my book by Spurgeon, Evening by Evening, for the last two days of a year, because this is a day-by-day devotional. So I'm going to read you from December 30th and December 31st. From 2 Samuel 2.26, do you not know that the end will be bitter? If you are merely a professor and not a possessor of the faith that is in Christ Jesus, the following lines are a true sketch of your end. You are a respectable attender at a place of worship. You go because others go, not because your heart is right with God. This is your beginning. I will suppose that for the next 20 or 30 years, you will be spared to continue in this way, professing religion by an outward attendance upon the means of grace, but having no heart in the matter. Tread softly, for I must show you the deathbed of someone just like you. Let us gaze upon him gently. A clammy sweat is on his brow, and he wakes up crying. Oh God, it is hard to die. Did you send for my pastor? Yes, he is coming. The pastor comes. Sir, I fear that I am dying. Have you any hope? I cannot say that I have. I fear to stand before my God. Oh, pray for me. The prayer is offered for him with sincere earnestness, and the way of salvation is for the ten thousandth time put before him. But before he has grasped the rope, I see him sink. I may put my finger upon those cold eyelids, for they will never see anything here again. But where is the man, and where are the man's true eyes? It is written, In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. Why did he not lift up his eyes before? Because he was so accustomed to hearing the gospel that his soul slept under it. If you should lift up your eyes in hell, how bitter will be your wailings. Let the Savior's own words reveal the woe. Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. There is a frightful meaning in those words. May you never have to spell it out by the red light of God's wrath. And now from December 31st, and the verse is from Jeremiah 8.20, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Not saved? Is this your sorry condition? 
warned of the judgment to come, invited to escape for your life, and yet at this moment not saved? You know the way of salvation. You read it in the Bible. You hear it from the pulpit. It is explained to you by friends, and still you neglect it, and therefore you are not saved. You will be without excuse when the Lord shall execute judgment. The Holy Spirit has blessed the word that has been preached in your hearing, and times of refreshing have come from the divine presence, and yet you are still without Christ. All these hopeful seasons have come and gone. Your summer and your harvest have passed, and still you are not saved. Years have followed one another into eternity, and your last year will soon be here. Youth has gone, manhood is going, and still you are not saved. Let me ask you, will you ever be saved? Is there any likelihood of it? Already the most favorable seasons have left you unsaved. Will other occasions alter your condition? Every means has failed with you, the best of means, used perseveringly and with the utmost affection. What more can be done for you? Affliction and prosperity have equally failed to impress you. Tears and prayers and sermons have been wasted on your barren heart. Are not the probabilities dead against your ever being saved? Is it not more than likely that you will stay as you are till death forever bars the door of hope? Do you recoil from this idea? Yet it is a most reasonable one. He who is not washed in so many waters will in all probability go filthy to his end. The convenient time never has come. Why should it ever come? It is logical to fear that it will never arrive and that, like Felix, you will find no convenient occasion until you are in hell. Think carefully about hell and of the dreadful probability that you will soon be there. Suppose you should die unsaved. No words can picture your doom. Write out your dreadful predicament in tears and blood. Talk of it with groans and gnashing of teeth. You will be punished with everlasting destruction and banished from the glory of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Allow my words to startle you into serious thought. Be wise, be wise in time, and before another year begins, believe in Jesus who is able to save you completely. Consecrate these last hours to lonely thought, and if you are brought to deep repentance, it will be well. And if it leads to an humble faith in Jesus, it will be best of all. See to it that this year does not pass away with you still unforgiven. Do not let the New Year's midnight bells sound upon a joyless spirit. Now, 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 believe and live. And I want to leave you with this poem today, and it's by Kathleen Wheeler, and the name is A New Leaf. He came to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I've spoiled this one. I took his sheet, all soiled and blotted, gave him a new one, all unspotted, and into his tired heart I cried, Do better now, my child. I went to the throne with a trembling heart. The old year was done. Have you a new leaf for me, dear master? I've spoiled this one. He took my leaf, all soiled and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted. And into my tired heart he cried, Do better now, my child. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening.
trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.
been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 